Well, good morning. My name is Mark Simons. I'm a member here at Rolling Hills Community Church. Been here for about 10 years, and I'm a father of three young men, Caleb, Luke, and Justin, and I'm married to Julie. So way back when, I was hired on the police force, and I was 20 years old, and I spent 30 years in my career in the same department. And during that time, you learned about chain of command, you know, hierarchy. I had a supervisor who took my title working in the warrant division and changed it to where I had to work domestic abuse cases. Did not enjoy doing that, but over time I honored him by just doing it because that was his priority, so it became my priority. My partner and I said we learned how to be better policemen. And it was really redeemed us in that we called ourselves the relationship police. And then we learned how to really work with women mostly that were victims of abuse and learn how to come alongside of them in their in their struggle in this really dark time in their life and, and even bring the, the man into the picture and sometimes even redeem the relationship. So that's something I never saw coming and if you would have asked me during the, during the time of it, I would have never guessed that I would be a better person for it, but I think God really did redeem that. It, and nothing works to me. It doesn't really, the world doesn't work unless you're honoring those who are put in authority. It just models everything. It models you know, a husband and wife and the mutual respect and honor, you know, it honors a father and a son or a parent and a, and a child. It just, my son, who's 18, was my student for several years from sixth grade all the way through 12th grade in the youth group. And this last year, he graduated and I asked him if he would consider coming back and team teaching with me for ninth grade boys. And his response was, I was wondering when you're going to get around to that, Dad, which just warmed my heart. And I believe that's, you know, he's leading. And I, I look at those young men that we're teaching. And at first I thought, well, they'd be looking to me as the senior man. And they're looking at my son and they just love him. And they're like, he's the, he's the guy now. He's the guy. And I just think that's such an awesome legacy to pass on to my son. Now he can bring up young men in the faith, much like I did when I was his age. I think there's few things in life that are more challenging than being a leader. Those of you guys that would consider yourself a leader, which consequently is everybody in the room. There is few things, there are few things that will pre present us more challenges than being a leader because you have to stop to think about this for a second. We're all leaders in our families. We're leaders in the places of employment where we work. We might be a leader in some you know, social setting or whatever the case might be. And, and why leadership is so tough, it's, and, and Mark hit on it just a little bit, why it's so tough is we have to juggle so many things as leaders, don't we? In fact, on any given day as a leader, you probably juggle the following. You have vision that you're seeking to, to cast in front of people. The scriptures say that without vision, the people will perish. There's execution that you have to be able to, to work through. You have to be able to put pen to paper and actually make things happen. Then there's the personnel side of things. There's the staffing side of things. Most of what we do would be awesome if people didn't get in the way, right? I mean, there's the, the, the people part. There's the training. There's the developing of people. There's the budgeting because most of us don't have just unlimited resources. We don't work for or companies or organizations where they always say yes to whatever amount of money that we say we want to spend. There's communication, there's marketing, there's growth, and that's just a Monday morning. And you realize this is very hard work. And if you happen to be on a small team, then you do all of those things. If you happen to be serving on a small team, you might be the founder, the CEO, the COO, and the director of janitorial services 
and the janitor. You know, you are the director of janitorial services and the one who actually does the cleaning. But see, in all of those settings, whether it's something in your family or whether it's something at work or specifically if it's something of a spiritual setting, which all of life is spiritual, one of the most interesting things that I've come to realize is that none of us lead in a vacuum, though. In fact, we don't lead in these places called black holes. Every decision that we make, every good leadership decision and every struggle that we might have, it affects people because we all have accountability to other people. We have accountabilities to a board. We have accountabilities to our customers if we're selling a product. We have accountability to our teammates, to our supervisors. And then in a spiritual setting, we, of course, have accountability to God because we don't make decisions and we don't lead independently, but we have to Ask God to to help us as we seek to to trust Him more than we trust ourselves. So this morning, what we're going to do is continue in this series called I Am David, and we're going to look at this moment in David's life when he's growing as a leader. And ultimately, what you're going to see in this passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel this morning is that David is seeking to follow God, but there's a big challenge that he's facing. He's operating in a system that's that's not the same vision that he has. He's operating in a system where his leader is moving away from God, and he's seeking to move closer and closer to God. And some of you have found yourself in that quandary before. And so I firmly believe that there's something here for us from God's Word this morning that will undoubtedly relate to wherever we might be in the leadership spectrum. And so I'm going to pray that God would give us vision, and God would give us wisdom, and that He would speak through His Word to the specific things that we might be facing this morning, and that He would encourage us and challenge us as we grow in the leader that He's asking us to be. So if you'll pray with me, I'd greatly appreciate it. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day of life. Thank you for each and every person who's here. I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for what you're going to teach us this morning. And I thank you for the leadership that you've placed in all of our lives, for the opportunities, for the challenges, for the adversities, and for the blessings. And I pray that as a result of all of those things that we would turn to you more than we would turn to ourselves for the hope and the strength that we so desperately need to be the leaders that you've called us to be. It's the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. And amen. Now, often in my introductions of sermons, I do this very frequently. I'll ask you guys a question and I'll say, raise your hand if this is you. This morning, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to embarrass you. But I want to pose a question to you nonetheless. Has this ever happened to you? I want you to imagine for a second you're in a setting. It might be a work meeting. It might be a committee meeting. It might be some social setting, some place where you are not in charge. Okay, you're not the one in charge. Someone else is calling the shots. And they lead a meeting or they're, 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 they're leading in whatever capacity. It might be that they are organizationally the leader or it might be that they're the one that called the meeting or it might be that they're just the loudest person in the room. And so therefore, you know, they have kind of taken the helm of leadership. Has this ever happened to you where you think to yourself either during the meeting or after the meeting, I could have done that better? This this ever happened to you where you think to yourself, I would have handled that situation a little bit differently than she did. Or I would have not said what he said. I would have gone about this a little bit differently. Some of you guys are very, very minutely shaking your head. So it's kind of like, I can assume that some of you can relate to this. And the rest of us, we must just be ultimately in charge of everything in our lives. And so we we don't ever face that pushback. 
Now, what's happening in these moments is what I like to call one of three things. One is that you actually have a, uh, some insight and some wisdom that needs to be shared, and, and you're trying to figure out what to do with that. It's also possible that you have a leadership gift that is ready to be let out of the gate. And it's kind of like that horse that's ready to be let out of the gate. The Lord has blessed you with a leadership gift, and you, you truly could do better, and you truly do have a vision that needs to be heard. And so maybe that's, that's where you are. Or it's possible that you're choice C, and you're just a really critical person. It's highly possible. It's highly possible that you're in choice C and you're an armchair general and you like to criticize what everybody else does, but not actually get in there and roll up your sleeves and do anything about it. And maybe you're somewhere in that spectrum. That's not the point of the sermon today. The point of the sermon is for you to begin visualizing those moments when people who are in authority over you are not leading you in a God-honoring direction. And what is it that you have to do? How are you going to face those challenges? Last week, Pastor T unpacked this amazing story of David slaying the giant Goliath. And he reminded us that the truth of God's power working in us is stronger than the power of the world. That God's power working in and through us is always going to be stronger than the world. Blessed, you know, he he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And so there's strength that's found in surrendering our lives to God. And ultimately this morning in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, you're going to see this snapshot where David is going to be forced to lead and seeking to grow in his leadership, even though King Saul is responding to God in a very different way. Now, keep in mind that David has been appointed the king. Saul is the king, but the anointing of the Lord has left him. And so now David is the newly appointed king, but he has not taken the throne just yet. He's still kind of in the wings waiting. Saul is still the king, but God's spirit has left him, and the spirit is now on David. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 56, this is right up on Saul seeing what David did. He slayed the giant, the, the, the giant, the Philistine Goliath. And upon seeing all this, in verse 56, the king said, Find out whose son this young man is. He says, find out whose son this young man is. Now, I'm not sure if Saul didn't recognize him because, see, David had already been playing the harp for him for quite a bit of time before this. So I'm not sure if he just didn't recognize him or whatever the case might be. But see, Saul, the leader, is he's faced with this young leader who the Lord is clearly blessing. He's faced with this young leader whose God's power is working through, so much so that he says, find out who this is. So obviously, one would think that Saul would throw a party in celebration of what is happening in David's life, right? I mean, that's what you would think, that he would be so excited about what's happening in David's life, that he would kill the fattened calf, that he would throw a party, that he would say, call all your friends, we're coming to have a big celebration, that's not what happens. Let's see what happens specifically in chapter 18, verse 1. So after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang. 
Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Wow. You see the juxtaposition of two different leaders here. Because, see, David is seeking to be faithful, and Saul is jealous because of the praise that's being heaped up on David's life. Saul was the one who, give, who gave David a lot of this leadership responsibility. He's the one who put him in charge of all of these armies. He's the one who put him in this place of command. And instead of celebrating what God is doing in his life, these seeds of jealousy begin to sow as he sees what the Lord is blessing him with. And see, this all kind of comes to head when Saul and David are walking back together. And what does it say the women of the town did? The women of the town came out and they saw Saul. And this is what they said. Saul has slain his thousands. You know, Saul, Saul feels pretty good about that. But here comes David. David, his ten thousands. I'm leading worship. I'm leading worship next week. It's decided. It's decided. Uh, a little bit more of applause would have been great, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> this begins to erode in Saul's life because they're celebrating me for thousands, but they're celebrating him for tens of thousands. See, the Spirit of the Lord was not who Saul was following anymore. And so when the Spirit of the Lord is someone that you've not followed anymore, what happens in your life? You open yourself up to allow the enemy to sow all of his seeds into your life. And the enemy begins to get a foothold into your life. Be really careful in those seasons of life when the anointing of the Lord has left you and you're trying to still pursue God. If you're at a season where maybe the Lord is not in central in a central position in your life anymore, I would encourage you today to go home, even do it today as we leave this service, and get down on your knees and say, Lord, come back into the center. Because I do not want to be operating at a place of leadership where you are not central. What has happened here to Saul is the spirit of the Lord has left him. The Lord is no longer central to him. And so when he sees the Lord blessing one of his other chosen vessels, instead of celebrating that, he's jealous. And he gets so bitter and he gets so angry, and we laugh, and I'm very quick to throw Saul under the bus, but the exact same thing can happen in our life if we're not careful. In fact, I'll give you some notes that you can fill in the blanks there if, if you like to fill in the blanks as we go through our message this morning. If you struggle trusting God, you will likely struggle celebrating the success of others. Ooh, it's hard. But it is so true that if you struggle trusting God, you will likely struggle celebrating the success of other people. It's this aspect of our human behavior, and it's specifically this aspect of sin in our life that is so mind-blowing to me. And dare I say, I would have enough courage to say, I'm guilty of this. And maybe you've had a season in your life where you've been guilty of that. And it sounds like this, we're somewhat happy for people and their promotions, as long as their promotion was just not as good as the promotion that, that I got. I'm happy when the Lord blesses you. I just wish he would have blessed me a little bit more. And then I could have been really happy for you if he would have blessed you just a little bit smaller than he blessed me. Or how about this? We're in the summer. We're in vacation season. You know, the season where you can't, you can't keep in track where everybody is. It's, you know, between now and August, you're wondering, where are these people? You know, are, they, are my neighbors at the beach? Are they in the mountains? Are they at home? Or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's, it's, it's time to go to the beach. 
which is awesome. We just got back from the beach last week. But I'm grateful for my vacation, but I look at what you did, and I'm a little jealous because yours was better than mine. I mean, you went to Disney. We stayed at the Value Resort. <laughs> you weren't staying at any Value Resort. And instead of being excited about whatever's happening in your life, if I take off the mantle of trusting God first and foremost, I will likely struggle celebrating the success of other people. And you guys say, well, I'm sure that would never happen in church. Oh, it happens in church all the time. It happens in ministry all the time. It sounds like, oh, yeah, there's another church that's in town. I'm so grateful that there's another church in town. I hope they do really well, just not as well as us. Or I hope that they do great, but maybe just not as, maybe they just wouldn't grow as fast as we would grow. Maybe that's a little bit too honest for you this morning. And you said, I, I don't know, that makes me uncomfortable to say about that. But when we remove God from the equation in our life and when we put him on the shelf, we do open up ourselves to make not God-honoring decisions. And I know that that's not grammatically correct, but you get it. When we remove God from the equation, we open up ourselves to make decisions that are not in the best interest of what he would desire and especially in the best interest of those that he has called us to lead. It's certainly not the model of ministry that Jesus so beautifully embodied. Because what did Jesus do? In Luke chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus said, if someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from him as well. If someone needs something from you, if you have an opportunity to bless someone else, then don't just give him your coat, give him your shirt as well. Now, is Jesus saying that you should be a pushover? No. Is Jesus saying that you should be sacrificial? Yeah. Is Jesus saying that I should be able to look at the good things that are happening in the, in the lives of other people and continue to lavish good things upon them? Absolutely. He's saying that the blessings of other people, the needs of other people should never be secondary in my life, but that I should always seek to go above and beyond. And if I'm not operating under God's authority and under God's anointing, it's really going to be hard for me to see that. But when I realize what God has done, and when I realize what he has done for me, it does become so much easier, may not be the, re the best word, but it does become so much clearer for me to understand how when he has forgiven me so much that I tend to forgive others. Because he's blessed me so richly, I tend to want to bless others. And I don't see opportunities to help or I don't see the good things happening in their life as a threat or a comparison trap, but as something that I can be so thankful for. Because when I'm thankful for what I have, what do I tend to be in regards to you, thankful for what you have? If I wish I was at a different place, maybe more like you, then these seeds of the enemy start to take root in my life. And we have to be so careful to guard against that and to protect against that. Because the Lord has put all of us in these really unique, awesome places of leadership in our family, in our businesses, in our work, in the social settings where we, where we find ourselves, whatever the case might be. And so you're going to be forced daily to make those decisions. Do I honor God and keep him central, or do I seek to keep the things of this world central? David chose the right way, and Saul ultimately chose the wrong way. So much so, let's keep going. In verse 10, just so you can see what Saul does here. So the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul, and he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. And Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. 
But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So this story escalated pretty quickly, didn't it? Saul goes from being jealous to now, I see David standing on a wall and I have a spear. Let me see if I can throw it and pin him to the wall. Some of you think you have a bad boss. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, man, you don't understand my situation. My supervisor, whoo, piece of work. They're not this bad. I doubt many of us are operating in settings where someone has hurled a spear at us because of the jealousy that they have towards us to try to pin us to a wall. So open up scripture and realize if David can do this, I think we can as well, that we can make the right decisions. David's over there just playing his harp, maybe unchained melody is what I'm imagining that he's playing over there, (laughs) trying to bring some peace to Saul and a spear is hurled his way. (laughs) Y'all like that unchained melody, but but David in the midst of all that was still successful. He was still successful. What made David successful? It says it right in Scripture. Was it because of his pedigree? No. Was it because of his age? No, he was really young. Was it because of his education? He was a shepherd. Was it because of his upbringing? He was one of 12 sons of the least of the tribes of Israel. So see, it wasn't any of that that set David apart. What set David apart is the Lord was with him. What a clear picture of leadership over here with the Lord opposed to being over here with the world. And when you're over here leading with the way that God would desire to lead in and through you, you see that amazing things happen in your life. When God stays central to what we do, then our life takes on a completely different shape. It takes on a completely different, it moves us into a completely different place to where we see that everything that has been lavished up on us is because of him. In fact, you see that when the Lord is with us, God still works in and through adversity. Isn't this amazing? When the Lord is with us, God still works in and through the adversity. It happens all throughout Scripture, and many of you are, or would be able, I should say, to give firsthand accounts of how this has happened in your life. That when the Lord is with us, God still works in and through our adversity. Some of you are in places right now where it's, it's, it's really hard for you to um, imagine bringing your faith into the workplace, but the Lord is blessing you because you're doing it. Some of you actually are serving in places right now where it's not popular to bring your faith into the workplace. And you say, no, my faith is the most important part of my life. And my relationship with Jesus is the most important thing to me, so I can't help but bring it into the decisions that I make or into the way that I go about operating my life or my business or my family or whatever the case might be. And you've come to this realization that when God is with me, God can still work through challenges and he can still work in settings where the supervisors may say, you're not allowed to have a Bible study in this place. But that doesn't mean that you don't bring the active living word of God into your conversations and into your into your meetings and into the, into the places where you operate. We sometimes think that life should be really easy. If, I, if I'm going to be a sold-out, God-honoring, God-following leader, then we sometimes think that life should be really easy, don't we? But 
we have a real misunderstanding of the whole of Scripture if we think that that's going to be the case because Scripture reminds us that when you step out to be a God-honoring leader, it actually is a harder decision than it is to be a leader that's driven by the world. Because what should we expect as God-honoring leaders? We should expect what it says in Psalm 34, 19, that many are the adversities of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. See, when the Lord is with you, you don't have to be defined by the adversity. When the Lord is with you, you don't have to be defined by the challenges. When the Lord is with you, you don't have to be defined by the setbacks. Rather, you can be defined by God working in and through you. 1 Samuel 18, as we continue on, 17 through 30, uh, just to kind of recap and, and share with you kind of the whole of what's going on here, it continues to show us how the plans of Saul are intended to bring harm to David. I mean, that's what he had. Saul continues to put David in situations where his main priority is to figure out how can I kill him? How can I get him off of this earth? How can I ultimately decimate him? But God had a different plan. This, this story sounds so strikingly familiar to me to Joseph. We studied Joseph several months ago here at Rolling Hills, and you may remember that, that moment at the end of kind of the story that we have recorded of Joseph where his brothers come back to him, the very ones who sold him into slavery. And Joseph looks at them and says, you know, I'm not mad at you because what man intended for harm, what did God intend it for? Good. That man intended to really destroy me, but you intended it to, to work out your plan. So see, instead of these evil plots of Saul leading to David's death, or instead of these evil plots leading to the success of Saul, David is the one who actually became more successful. And Saul became lesser known. He became less God-honoring. And ultimately, the one who didn't receive praise or didn't receive accolades or didn't position himself in a place to where God could ultimately use him. And what I think this does is it, it gives us a real clear picture of where faithfulness will lead in our life, and it gives us a real clear picture of where disobedience will lead in our life. It's why we're given these opportunities as leaders and all of those things that we're seeking to do in all of the places where we lead, that we kind of have these moments where we see I'm going to have to choose faithfulness or I'm going to choose disobedience. And that's going to be true in your employment. That's going to be true in your marriage. It's especially going to be true in parenting. It's going to be true in all of those, those, those arenas that we operate in where we're going to have to choose. Am I going to be faithful or am I going to be disobedient? Because David was choosing faithfulness and ultimately Saul was choosing disobedience. And what you see here is that faithfulness leads to more faithfulness. Whereas disobedience tends to lead to what? More disobedience. It's this really simple equation, and, and you can map your life out on it. And, and most of the time, this will tend to be pretty true. If you're taking faithful steps right now, chances are that will lead to more faithful steps. If you're taking disobedient steps right now, chances are that will lead to more disobedient steps. It's what we would often refer to as the snowball effect. Because the snowball effect tends to be true for both. Because what happens with, you know, a proverbial snowball that's rolling down a hill? Over time, what? It just gets bigger and bigger. And it starts picking up more snow, more momentum, more speed. In David's life, he was remaining faithful no matter what adversities came. In Saul's life, he was continuing to be disobedient. He had this moment, I talked about it in the first week of the sermon series, where the Lord had told him, I want you to go in and destroy all of the livestock of the Amalekites. And what did Saul do? He kept the really great livestock 
and he did destroy the really weak livestock. And that was one of the moments when the Lord said, no, my anointing is removing from you, is being taken away from you because you were not obedient to what I asked you to do. What is disobedience? How would we define disobedience? The simplest way I would define disobedience is you think you're in charge opposed to God. And God tells you to do something. God shares with you what it is that you're supposed to do. And instead of you following him, you say, no, I think I know better. And I think I know better is what ended up getting Saul to this place where he is now. If you're taking disobedient steps this morning, don't be surprised if a year from now, your life is more disobedient than it is right now. If you're taking faithful steps this morning, you're going to look forward with great joy when you see that a year from now, your life is going to have more faithfulness to it. It's what I call the, uh, the analogy of, you know, working out. This, this working out, lifting weights, is a lot harder than this working out on hitting next on Netflix. Okay, I mean, that's, I'm working out my thumb. But um, there's this, and then there's this. Which of those is easier? Unless you're, you know, I've figured out something I can't figure out. This one is a lot easier. It's a lot easier to just kind of work out my thumb and hit next on Netflix. But there's one of those that's better. And there's one of those that's going to be a healthier decision that I could ultimately make. And whether or not I'm going to be happy with where I end up a year from now or a month from now or 10 years from now is, is, is going to be largely in part to by the steps that I'm taking right now and how I'm choosing to lead in the settings where I find myself right now. When I think about marriage, it's, it's really the same way. It, it's really the same way. If you're here this morning and, and, and you're saying, you know what, my marriage is, is struggling and it, it's just not where it needs to be. And I know that it's not where it needs to be. And there's a lot of factors that have led to that. And my spouse and I, we could figure out all those and we could list them all out. If that's where you are this morning, then I'm really thankful that you're here. And I want you to know that you're, you're not alone in that. There's a lot of people struggling in relationships right now. But I, but I want you to know that if you would say, hey, this needs some TLC and this needs some care and we know it. And if you choose to do nothing about it and just hope it's going to get better for just because maybe things will get better with time, don't be surprised if a year from now it looks a little more grim than it does right now. If your parenting needs a real significant reorientation off of the things of the world to the things of God, then you've got to do the hard work to make that happen. Because if not, it, it's possible that a year down the road you will look and realize it didn't get any better. Or maybe it's even a little bit less than ideal. See, the faithfulness of David led to more faithfulness, and the disobedience of Saul ultimately led to more disobedience. So much so, let's keep going in 1 Samuel 19. Saul, I mean, he's not finished. He continues to struggle in this. Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you, and I will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Jonathan, finally a voice of reason here in Saul's life, goes to his dad and he says, 
Dad, I want you to understand the absurdity of your actions. You're trying to kill David, but look what David did for you. Look what he did for the nation of Israel. He took his own life into his hands to rescue you. He put the needs of everyone else of Israel above his own needs. He's not done anything wrong. And instead of celebrating him, you have rejected him. And for some of us, we just realized this sounds really familiar to another story in Scripture to me. This sounds really familiar to me of what Jesus did for me. This sounds very similar to what I know about the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And it sounds really familiar to you because it should be really familiar sounding. Because what did Jesus do? See, Jesus, according to Scripture, was the one who was going to be rejected by man. He was going to be despised. He was a man of suffering, as it says in Isaiah But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was wounded for our iniquities. The sins of the world was brought upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Why? Because we are all like sheep have gone astray. And what did Jesus do? When Jesus took up on the cross, when he took up on the sins of humanity and he's hanging on a cross and he looks down at the very people who nailed him to that cross, what did he say about them? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. In Luke 23, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. See, Jesus' love for us, it far outweighed the challenges. It far outweighed the difficulties that he was going to have to go through. It far outweighed the, um, the ridicule. It far outweighed the, the way that he was going to be despised to the extent that he was willing to give his life so that you and I could have life And then you see David, and Jonathan's reminding his dad, this is what David was doing. David was willing to sacrifice his life so that we would not be destroyed by the Philistines. It's this beautiful picture. All of Scripture, start to finish, shows us our need for a Savior. All of Scripture, it's why my my favorite thing to to have as as a parent of younger kids is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you're a parent and you don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible, Stop at the store today on the way home and get one because from start to finish, it shows you how every part of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation points to our need for a Savior and our need for Jesus to save us. And it does an amazing job of putting this in a way that kids can understand, and it's, a, it's amazing for us as adults to read as well. But with David's life, the anointing was with David, and because the anointing was with David, he was able to lead through the challenges, and he was able to lead through all those adversities. And Saul, he still struggled. He struggled because the Lord wasn't with him. In fact, after all this, after all this talk, even with Jonathan coming and trying to talk some sense into his dad, it says in verse 8 that once more war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. (laughs) And while David was playing the lyre, At this point, I'm thinking if I'm David, like, I'm done, right? (laughs) I might be done playing the harp. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night, David made good his escape. See, the scripture reminds us that even if a person in authority over you has abandoned God, it doesn't mean that you have to. Some of you are in places of leadership right now where there's someone over you. There's someone in a position of authority over you, and they have abandoned God. Friends, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that you have to. It doesn't mean that you have to throw in the towel. In fact, every person in authority over you was instituted by God. Romans 13, 1 and 2 reminds us of this truth, that everyone must submit to governing authorities. Why? Because all authority comes from God. 
And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. See, David remained faithful, and so can we. Saul's intentions towards David were rarely positive, but David's intentions towards Saul were always God-honoring. And there's a lesson for all of us to learn in our leadership. There's a lesson for me to learn here about my leadership. Because, see, my faith and my faith journey, it may not make sense to you, but you know what? It doesn't have to. And in your places of leadership, your faith and your faith journey, they may not make sense to the governing authorities over you. They may not make sense to your organizational structure. They may not make sense to fill in the blank. But they don't have to. Because, see, God is the one who has put the people in authority over you. It's by God's sovereign design, if you believe in his sovereignty, which is all throughout scripture, that he's the one that's orchestrating everything. So as a result of that, does that mean that God is sometimes going to put people over me that I don't agree with? Absolutely. Does that mean that he's going to put people over me that I may not see eye to eye with on every issue? Absolutely. But may we be reminded this morning, and may we actually never forget, that who we're ultimately following is Jesus. We're not following the people in this world. We're not even following the structures in this world. As much as we submit to their authorities and we see that they're there because of God and for God, may we never forget, though, that we are ultimately following Jesus. It's why Paul said to the church at Colossae that for in him, and referring to Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So see, Jesus is the one that we follow. He's the one that we're seeking to please. And so what do we do as a result? What do we do? We stop and we look at our life and we say, man, this is hard work. <laughs> this leadership call that the Lord has given me is really hard work. I, I don't know how the best way to lead in my family. I don't know the best way to lead in my business. I don't, I don't know how to lead in the face of all the challenges that I face, but I do know that I've got a choice to make. Do I lead like Saul and set God on a shelf and attune to him every once in a while? Or do I lead like David? And seek to be faithful no matter what this world might throw at me. And this morning, I, I hope that you'll say, I am David. That I want to choose to lead like that. And then we will trust and we will hope and we will pray that the Lord would give you exactly what you need to be the leader that he has called you to be. To remain faithful in the midst of challenge. To be faithful in the midst of adversity. And ultimately to see him and invite him to invade every part of your life and to sit back and watch what it is that he's going to do as we seek to be that kind of leader. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. I'm thankful for what you've done. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the call to leadership that you've placed on our life. Lord, this is a hard job. It is so incredibly hard to, to keep you at the, the center defining point of our life and to not allow the world to define us. I pray that you would give us the courage, give us the wisdom, give us the vision, give us the know-how, and give us the grace, and give us the compassion to be the men and women that you've called us to be. We know that in every place of leadership where you have put us, it is not by accident at all. You have put us in the families, you have put us in the 
um, employment areas. You have put us in certain groups and social settings all by your design. So I pray that we would lead to the best of our ability for you in and through all of those places. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. This call to leadership is hard, friends. It's hard, but I want you to know we're cheering you on. We're cheering you on and that you're surrounded by people this morning that are on the same page as you, and we can uh, grow in this together. And if there's anything we can ever do to help you in that journey, then please do not hesitate to let us know. At this time, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, and this is an opportunity for you to continue in worship by giving. If you have a prayer request or a praise, something that you filled out or a communication card, and you want to hand that in uh, into, the, into the basket, you can do that as well and know that we will follow up with you. So as our ushers are coming forward, uh, seeing that it is Father's Day, we also want to celebrate all of you dads in the room today. And so we have a, a special video prepared for you guys, and so we hope that you enjoy this as the ushers go ahead and begin collecting our offering. Hi, my name is Stacy. Why don't you grab a pen and paper? Sure. Okay. And what I'm going to have you do is write a letter to your son that you're going to give to him when he turns 18. I want you to write a letter to your daughter There you go. I said I wasn't going to cry again. I've seen it like 45 times. But um, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Happy Father's Day to you guys. Uh, 
dads in the room, we're cheering you on. It's, it is simultaneously the hardest job I've ever had, but the most fulfilling and the most rewarding job that I've ever had. So we want you to know that we're here for you. We live in a world sometimes that, uh, that doesn't give dads the, the, the support and the encouragement. Sometimes sitcoms will talk so negatively about us, and we just want you to know that we think you're awesome, and we think that the Lord has placed you in your families for a very specific reason, and so you lead well. You lead well. You continue to take those steps of faith to lead your family and know that we're cheering you on as you do that. And we're here to support you in that and want you to know how much we appreciate you and the spiritual leadership that you bring to your homes and the spiritual leadership that you bring to our church. And I, again, want to end today by recognizing one dad specifically. I'm going to give out a prize today to a dad in the room. And it's what I think would be the best prize as a dad ever. It's a Lowe's gift card. I mean, so who doesn't want that? I thought about just like 14 pounds of bacon, but we decided to go with something that's a little bit... Um, you know, that's a little bit more, not, you know, non-perishable. Um, and so what I'm going to do this morning is I, I need two volunteers. I need somebody on this side that thinks they have the best dad in the world. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Anna, number between one and 12. Number nine. And then somebody on this side of the room that thinks they have the best dad in the room. Anybody? David. And I need a number between one and 30. 28th. So 9 is September 28th. September 28th is our key date that we're looking for. What dad in the room has the birthday closest to September 28th? Anybody have a September birthday? Okay, we're going to go not going over. Anybody have an August birthday in the room? This isn't working out so well. Anybody have a July? I'll take the gift card. If we make it all the way down to the March, it's going home with me. A July birthday. July 16th. Anybody closer to September than July 16th? Okay, let's hear it. The Lowe's gift card goes over here to um, Danny. Come up and see me after the service. Happy Father's Day to all of you guys. I want to have you stand, and we're going to dismiss you with a word of prayer and send you out onto this beautiful, beautiful Sunday afternoon. Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place. I thank you for every dad in this room. I pray a prayer blessing over them. These things that we've been talking about today as leaders, um, I pray that as um, spiritual leaders in our homes and spiritual leaders in our places of work, that you would give us um, just a great vision, a vision that comes from you, a vision to point people to you, a vision to lead people um, to your throne. I thank you for each and every family that's represented, each and every person, and every individual who's here. I pray a prayer blessing over them as they go about this week. Give them opportunities to grow in leadership. Give them opportunities to, to not make it about them, but to ultimately ask you to come in and guide and lead them in every um, every area where they're going to be leading this week. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and thank you in advance for what you're going to do. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. You guys have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.